You are listening to Attention, the audio journal for architecture. This is issue number seven, Detective Work. Guest edited by Megan Erdley. This is episode number five, Bypass Codes. Organized crime isn't necessarily an assassination, a stabbing, or shooting. These deals are happening around us, and there really is no separation in terms of space. This is author Karen Doley describing the maze-like spaces of nightclubs in post-apartheid South Africa. In her book, The Enforcers, Doley describes the spaces and thresholds associated with organized crime networks. As an investigative journalist, she spent three years studying Cape Town's nightclub security industry on the ground. She details powerful alliances between South Africa's police, military intelligence, and organized crime that fight to control the circulation of weapons, endangered animals, and other morally charged materials across and beyond the borders of South Africa. Reading The Enforcers, I was struck by the way Dolly attends to architectural devices to make sense of shifting alliances between the police, organized crime, and ex-apartheid security services. As she studies how the security industry operates through the nightclub, she raises entirely new questions for us about the rules that govern the way we use space. While Laura Hall and Janice Kerbel have already alerted us to the way planning, anticipation, and programmatic play can make digital infrastructure and the sheer scale of multinational networks visible, the club dramatizes the problems of exclusive access and status symbols which are subject to forgery, fraud, and theft. Detection here becomes an everyday practice of parsing out the real and the fake, hard boundaries, and how they become negotiable. Karen Doley invites us to consider the proliferation of biometric borders, stolen identities, and bypass codes that have more value than access to any one room. I'll tell you a bit about myself. I was a journalist for... Many, many years, I think about 15, 14, 15 years, and I went into investigative journalism specifically only around about 2017, and that's when I really started looking into the so-called underworld, nightclub security, etc. I started looking into what I thought were isolated incidents involving nightclub security in Cape Town. And it took me quite a while to realize that what I thought were isolated incidents were absolutely all connected. I couldn't put my finger on it, but I knew that there is something so much bigger involved in all of this. And in writing on isolated incidents and then contextualizing these incidents, I was able to map out a much broader landscape of crime, politics, intelligence, rogue intelligence, to demonstrate these connections, Dolly had to work backwards by researching military history, crime reports, and patterns of movement in the security industry. Here's Dolly talking about her detective-like process of reverse reasoning. In terms of researching that, I had to research in reverse. So look at an incident that happened today and then connect it to an incident that happened five years ago, then look at that incident from five years ago and connect it to another incident that happened seven years ago. So it was a lot of retrospection. And what I found is under apartheid, police officers were tasked with committing crimes. 
to maintain that status quo or to maintain that disgusting regime. That was part and parcel of being a cop. Murder was potentially on your to-do list. And at the same time, if you look at today, or if you look at the nightclub security industry, the same police officers that were investigating about 20 years ago are still investigating. And it's very complex because before they became police officers, they were with the ANC, which was opposed to apartheid. So they were then absorbed into a police service which had been pro-apartheid. It was almost like a spy versus spy scenario, old guard versus new guard in one police service. And that's why there was a deep sense of distrust, which still exists today. So we have these so-called ANC police officers who are still investigating the very same crimes that were being investigated then. These alleged criminal patterns have just been adopted by new figures. So, for example, a very clean-cut case in the book is that under apartheid and on the cusp of democracy and inter-democracy, a man by the name of Cyril Beaker headed nightclub security operations in Cape Town. It was a bustling city centre. When apartheid fell, it was a booming time, you know, lots of tourists coming into the country, etc. And then it turns out that Cyril Beaker was not necessarily just someone taking control of nightclub security or someone who had found a niche in this industry. It turns out that he may have been working for the former government and when power shifted, he also shifted and then he worked for the ANC. So we have him and then if we fast forward, let's say roughly 20 years, um, Cyril Beaker was assassinated in between and in 2017-2018, we had a bail application heard in court. And there's another man by the name of Nafiz Modak, who police point the finger at and say he has taken over from Cyril Beaker. Um, he was in court because he was accused of intimidation and extortion. Those are the exact crimes Cyril Beaker was accused of. And throughout this time, there have been allegations, claims, and staunch beliefs that intelligence structures are backing these individuals. Dolly suggests that the security apparatus established during the apartheid era remains firmly in place. Men like Sarah Beaker, who control the nightclub industry, have been embedded more deeply in state structures. I asked her to speak about the pattern she saw being repeated since the fall of the Nationalist Party that designed the apartheid system. In broad sweeps, I would say the crimes that affect the Western Cape and Cape Town the most, and not necessarily South Africa, but also the rest of the country. In the Western Cape, we've got gang violence, and that involves or includes shootings, assassinations. And it's not just simply someone getting angry with someone taking out a gun and you stepped over my turf. This is deep, entrenched, organized crime. Um, in terms of nightclub security, there have always been accusations and claims of intimidation and extortion. And what that has involved is allegedly that if I'm a club owner and I refuse your club security, I will go in and trash your club. So in order to prevent my club from being trashed, I have to make use of your security. And that has always been the common claim that that is why figures linked to nightclub security face these charges. If you control the door of a nightclub, you get to control what passes that door. And if it's drugs, 
you already have a client base in terms of patrons in the nightclub. Dolly spoke about the role of the door, not as a threshold, but as a market, where political projects and legal structures are renegotiated by men that are deeply invested in the status quo. What we see now is an inheritance from that time. On the onset of democracy and when different elements within policing were amalgamated, we've got some of those individuals who petered off into private security. And that's where a lot of, there's a lot of suspicion that private security is a front for political operatives. So in a nutshell, that's basically it. When apartheid switched over to democracy and people made use of private security, there were lots of intelligence operatives who, they, they got involved in private security. And that's where there's a blurring. So it's state versus private, and there was a sort of overlap. And that overlap still seems to exist that has been alluded to in so-called underworld court cases. What we're seeing isn't new. This is an old pattern. And at the same time, I want to just make reference to Ferdy Barnard. He was an apartheid-era cop. And one of the things he said when he was talking about the crimes he committed was that he was in charge of the police officers and he was in charge of the nightclubs and brothels. And he paid off the police officers who did raids, etc., so that they could carry on with their operations. And that in itself is exactly the same type of claims that were being made up until a year ago. In her 2019 book, The Enforcers, Dolly describes how she began to piece together a blueprint that was made during the apartheid era. The state's security forces recruited members of organized crime networks, that operated locally and globally to track activists, plant evidence, and carry out attacks that couldn't be traced back to the state. The blueprint that they established is not an architectural blueprint per se, but it does operate like a blueprint in how it anticipates and creates a map. It worked to bind law enforcement to multiple political systems, and it wasn't thrown out when the apartheid regime was overthrown. When individual officers came under investigation, others picked up a copy of the plan and built their own networks. I would rather call it an illegal blueprint. When I say it's an illegal blueprint, there have always been suspicions and allegations of corrupt cops supporting nightclub security figures or the faces representing nightclub security. The same allegations are being made now. It does seem to have been a formula that was used back then. A corrupt cop, nightclubs, cops who are up against them. Allegedly, we have it again now. Depends on who you believe. And then in terms of the architecture, I think you mean the actual physical buildings, etc. The overlaps. So that is something that really still stands out to me. If you sit on the steps of the High Court and you look forward from a certain point... You can see Long Street, which is where all the nightclubs are situated along. And all these incidents have happened between courts of law near the Parliament of South Africa. It's happening on the doorstep of courts, which really goes to show something. They either are completely aloof or they perhaps have people backing them, enabling them to have that confidence to do what they're doing. Dolly went further to describe how the apartheid government's image of law and order built on the Calvinist morality of Afrikaner nationalists overlapped with its criminal activity. Today, she explains, the so-called criminal underworld continues to blur and overlap with everyday life, 
hard boundaries are hard to find. So for a very brief period when I was much, much younger, <laughs> I would socialize in Longstreet and I was not aware of anything untoward happening. The more I learned, the more I was horrified that there is no separation between the underworld and the world everyone else lives in. It's part and parcel. I don't see the long street my friends will see. I see a stretch of street slash land that is dominated by organized criminals, whereas my friends will see an entertainment hub. And I'm sure that's the way it is for many people. In terms of a separation, there has been a shooting inside a night venue just off Long Street. And there's also been, a am going to say, at least one murder in the street itself. And that was of a doorman. So there is really no separation. I also recall a police investigator once testifying that someone in the street noticed these burly men and came to this police officer and told them, please keep an eye on those men. They seem to be up to something. They were bulked up and it looked like they were wearing bulletproof vests. So the police officer followed them and they went into a club. And once the police officer and her team got in, they were nowhere to be seen. And they walked to, I think it was where you pay to get in. And they saw a fingerprint device and a door. And they managed to get the door open. And they went in, walked up a flight of stairs and said they were shocked to find little flats above this nightclub. And in the one flat behind this door, and I think the lights were off, it was quite dramatic, the description. They found figures who they were investigating. In terms of space, that's right on top of a nightclub. And to get there, you'd have to go through a little. You'd have to interact with people. That illicit use of the fingerprint technology in the club and this whole second life and parallel operation is completely fascinating. So it is not being used to secure a state border, but it's involved in the production of forged permits or state registration documents. Dolly's work on the ground as a journalist who covered crime scenes and followed the careers of specific men for years, offers a unique perspective on the colonial origin and complex character of the security industry. Without the time that she and her colleagues have spent studying the way people move in and out of clubs, we wouldn't know how organized crime networks have adopted biometric readers, those fingerprint scanners designed to detect and record the movement of people whose physical features have been registered in a database. Most of us will encounter such devices if we cross national borders. Governments around the world have begun to require fingerprints and even facial scans before they issue passports and visas. Perhaps we even assume that this kind of identification is singular, uniquely connected to each body's signature. Governments often claim that biometrics protect borders from forged documents and from people who are not who they say they are. Some scholars have even argued that the use of biometric devices transfers the border to our bodies and helps the state secure a monopoly on the means of movement. Yeah, that is, I mean, that is the terrifying part of all this. Aside from the abrasive violence we see play out, there's that it's not a tangible realm, but it's the more terrifying realm. And for example, listening in on people's calls, etc., We've had several claims that crime intelligence officers in South Africa have been doing so for the wrong reasons. 
And we've also had allegations and claims that certain crime intelligence officers are using the instruments that they have to conduct investigations, but they're not conducting the right investigations. They are actually working for so-called underworld figures, which then exposes civilians, residents to a whole different type and arena of crimes where their privacy is stripped. As equipment technology evolves, so do organized crime groups. They evolve with it. I asked her what it felt like to do this kind of detective work as a journalist. Reporting on it previously has been difficult because there are so many people with so many viewpoints. And to try and distill the truth in an arena where the truth is intentionally distorted is exceptionally difficult And it boils down to the only thing we can really trust or the only thing in this entire arena that makes me think there is truth to certain allegations is the death toll. Because you can't deny a dead body. You have been listening to Attention, the audio journal for architecture. Issue 7, Detective Work. Guest edited by Megan Erdley. This was episode number 5. Bypass Codes. The interview with Karen Dolly was conducted by Megan Erdley on July 15, 2020. The episode was researched, written, and narrated by Megan Erdley. It was edited by Kurt Gambetta and Joseph Bedford, and produced by Ethan Curtis, Joseph Bedford, and Ariana Karadi. Thanks to the Graham Foundation for Advanced Studies in the Fine Arts for their generous support.